Hey, peace and blessings to you. My name is Jerry B. I am the Entree Musician and so are you. Welcome to an exciting, special episode of the Entree Musician Podcast. Uh, it seems like in this time of year, I always get nostalgic and feel very blessed at what we've been able to accomplish here at the Entree Musician, talking to incredible musicians, artists from all over the planet at every level. And uh, we reached into the archive to uh, go into two episodes and we kind of blended them into one. And that was our conversation with three-time Grammy award-winning artist, songwriter, composer, producer, Gary Hines of the supergroup Sounds of Blackness. Now, you have to ask the question, who haven't the Sounds of Blackness performed with because there was a time, especially in the mid to late 90s, where they were absolutely everywhere and they are still going strong. So we had two wonderful conversations back a couple years ago and more recently, and they were so insightful. We felt that, you know, we had kind of picked up where we left off the first time. So we've blended them uh, for you in case you've missed them. But you're going to love it. This is a great conversation with none other than Gary Hines. Hey, peace and blessings to you. My name is Gary B. I am the Entree Musician, and so are you. Happy New Year. Welcome to 2020. Boy, do I have an interview for you and you and you. None other than the iconic Mr. Gary Hines, music director and producer of the three-time Grammy-winning explosion we all know as Sounds of Blackness. We're going to talk about all things Entree Musicians, how he has done it, how Sounds of Blackness has maintained their legacy through so many years and more. Man, am I blessed and highly favored to have this gentleman sitting here to my left, Mr. Gary Hines. Many blessings to you, sir. The blessing is all mine, my brother. Thank you so much on behalf of your brothers and sisters, the sounds of black. Man, oh boy, oh boy. I gotta tell you, I have been a fan of Sounds of Blackness since its inception, or until I did a little bit more research. I was only four years old. <laughs> but you guys have done extraordinary things. Let me give just a little bit more context for people who do not know of your history. I mean, obviously, uh, your band, Sounds of Blackness, this project has performed and toured with Quincy Jones, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis and Prince and Usher, Stevie, Michael, Aretha, Elton John, Johnny Gill, Patti LaBelle, Dolly Parton, and on and on and on. You've performed nationally, internationally, and like I said, three Grammy Awards winning, done countless workshops, you are what we call the entre, uh, uh, the ultimate entree musician. My God, brother. <laughs> Bless you, brother. So, so let me ask this question. I, I want to begin this from the end. Okay, so we're going to switch. Okay. I'm, I'm going to ask you, how would you like, with all of the accolades and accomplishments of Sounds of Blackness, how would you like your music to be remembered? as embodying the music of a culture and a people. We say as Sounds of Blackness, and we have said from day one, Brother Jerry, that uh, Sounds of Blackness 
brings the music of the African-American experience to people of all backgrounds with messages of inspiration. And so we, we seek to glorify God through uh, by uplifting people through African-American music. So and we had to try to reduce, reduce it to one sound bite or sentence. That's it, to glorify God by uplifting people through black music. Man, you have absolutely done it. And let me, let me ask you this, in your quest and on this journey, this great journey of Sounds of Blackness, what is the most important lesson that you would give a new artist who is starting out today? I would say to be true to your craft, uh, be true to yourself. Um, you know, the, the industry, there's a lot of great things about the industry. There's some not so great things about the, the music industry. Uh, one of the not so great things is a tendency to uh, mold and shape you to something other than what you actually are. Uh, you know, it's just it's just in the, the uh, makeup of the industry, and I think even in the history and the legacy of the industry, to try to do that with artists uh, yeah. and to shape you whatever the current mold is kind of thing as opposed to what they really are. So uh, in the words of the old adage, to thine own self be true. Absolutely. Now, is this the same lesson you learned? And if so, at what point in the career did you begin to learn this lesson that is the first point of advice you give to a new artist? Well, I pass that on from my beloved longtime brothers and friends, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. Uh, our interaction and friendship, uh, Brother Jerry, uh, uh, really uh, goes way beyond uh, our recording. Uh, our families go back. Uh, I'm a native of Yonkers, New York, so shout out to the East Coast. But when I say that to say, uh, ever since uh, our family moved to Minneapolis here uh, from Yonkers, um, just one of the first families that we interacted with were uh, you know, the families of Jam and Lewis. Uh, both of their families had musicians, and of course, uh, my mom, the late great Doris Hines, was a great jazz singer. So there, there's a lot of way back history with that. But I wow. say that to say this, in terms of what you asked me, when Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis signed Sounds of Blackness as the first artist to their uh, Perspective Records label, and that was such and still is such an honor for us. Absolutely. The first thing they said was, Doc, that's their nickname for me, said, Doc, don't change. We want to present you to the world just the way you are. And they knew who and what Sounds of Blackness was, again, because we go back to the 70s, brother. I'll just put it out there. Yeah. Uh, back before, before uh, the time was the time, it was known as Flight Time, which, of course, is, is the name of their publishing company. Right. Uh, and Sounds of Blackness and Flight Time were performed many times together here in Minneapolis. So we knew each other's music. They're familiar. So when they said, don't change, they knew what they were talking about. They knew who they had signed. Wow. That's yeah. that's absolutely excellent. Can you can you go a little bit more into the history of Sounds of Blackness? I believe the project started in 1969, actually, right? Yes, yes, yes. The foundation for Sounds of Blackness began in 1969 at my alma mater, uh, McAllister College. A shout out to McAllister here in the Twin Cities. And uh, our emeritus founder, uh, shout out to Brother Russell Knight, the native of Beaumont, Texas. Uh, what happened very quickly, brother, is McAllister College, you know, a predominantly white, you know, private uh, college here in the Twin Cities, um, in the late 60s embarked on a very ambitious program to recruit uh, students of color. And that was called EEOC, Expanded Educational Opportunities. And they were very successful with that. At one time, on, on a campus of about 1,500, there were almost 200 black students. And, and one of the offshoots of that was that the students uh, uh, organized a number of uh, groups on their own. There was a, a, a theater group called Black Arts Midwest, uh, which still exists. 
uh, there was a political group called BLAC, the Black Liberation Affairs Committee, which also still exists. And there was this 50-voice uh, choir called the McAllister Black Voices uh, under the direction, as I say, of Brother Russell Knighton. Uh, fast forward to January of 1971, um, their musician uh, transferred to another school and they asked yours truly uh, to come on as director. And I, I was honored to do that because even back then they were very excellent, you know, singing uh, freedom songs and some spirituals and gospel and, and you know, all that, the, the consciousness music of the time to be yeah. young, gifted and black and all of that. Yeah. Uh, but the vision that the, the, the good Lord gave me, brother, um, with this excellent uh, ensemble was to carry on the tradition of people like Duke Ellington. Uh, now we hear the name Duke Ellington and we think of jazz and we should, but Duke Ellington would be the first to say, uh, I do the music of my people. Uh, so many don't know that Duke uh, recorded and composed uh, and performed spirituals, uh, gospel. He did four sacred recordings, um, blues. So he did the music of the culture. And so, that's the vision that the good Lord gave me for this ensemble. And that was the reason for and the meaning of the name Sounds of Blackness. Uh, every sound of the black experience, jazz, blues, hip hop, rock, R&B, spirituals, reggae, ragtime, gospel. All of those are the sounds of blackness. And that's who we were then and that's who we are now. Uh, you, you said it so well. I mean, because the, the, the beautiful thing about keeping your culture, the beautiful thing about maintaining your integrity and the truth of who you are is once you are centered in that, it becomes universal to all because the yeah. sound of blackness being the core, it didn't remain in the black experience or even though your fan base primarily was foundationally black, you've worked with Dolly Parton, you've yeah. worked with Sting, but tell yeah. me about some of those experiences and how they've grown to appreciate the legacy of the Sounds of Blackness. Um, it's just absolutely amazing, especially those two artists that you mentioned and others as well, um, especially from uh, the uh, country genre, Lyle Lovett, um, yeah. you know, Finn Hill, it goes on. And you know what? Um, it comes down to what the great Stevie Wonder said, and that music is the universal language. Yes. Um, and, and those... <sighs> The people that you mentioned, brother, are just consummate artists. They're musicians. And so they get it in terms of the universality of music uh, and the universal language. And they, they knew what Sounds of Blackness were about. Many of your, your listeners may or may not know, Dolly Parton is, is a, an amazing songwriter as yeah. well as, you know, performer, you know, musician, singer, actress, all those kind of things. Um, so, uh of course, she wrote, you know, and, and uh, I Will Always Love You. And in case people know, that's a huge hit. Yeah. Uh, and she had uh, written a song for Sounds of Blackness as well. And we've been blessed to perform with her on a couple of occasions um, uh, as well. Um, you mentioned Sting. Sting uh, came here when he was working on the soundtrack for the movie uh, Demolition Man. And, uh, you know, he was working on the title track and uh, recorded it here at Paisley Park. Uh, with our longtime friends, pr uh, friend Prince, and we have to talk about him. Absolutely, know, right. Um, yeah. We were out at Paisley, and and uh, they, you know he he called on Sounds of Blackness, you know, to to lend the vocals to uh, that that title track, Demolition Man, and uh, because they knew again what we were about, and and it was just artist to artist, and what comes from the heart reaches the heart. Mm. Oh, that's beautiful. Absolutely. Yeah. How do you maintain such a perfect balance? of all of the genres that you blend into a sound of a blackness groove. How, how do you do that? That's, 
just beautiful. It's, I mean, Quincy Jones probably comes very close. Stevie, of course. But just to have the multicultural genre that you had, uh, the approach, how do you maintain that balance? Oh, bless you. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you all, you, all the love, man, and, and uh, what you just said. Uh, well, by the grace of God and by, by the uh, guidance of his spirit, first and foremost, and, uh, you know, the, 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 the legacy uh, of the ancestors really uh, guides that as well. Uh, it's in the culture, uh, just starting with uh, the motherland Africa, you know, that birthed all of this, yes. um, this music and, and, of course, our culture kind of thing. But keeping that, that foundation and uh, that perspective, um, speaking of perspective, uh, with, with our music, with our culture, and that knowing that even uh, I talked to my, my, my younger brothers in terms of hip hop. Um, and, you know, our take on it is, of course, a current take. And, you know, and going all the way back, you know, uh, to, to New York and all that kind of thing. But the whole um, idiom of, of word and rhyme to rhythm and drum is actually eons old. That goes back to the motherland. So all it's, it's all there. So we, we keep that, that perspective to answer your question, my brother, that yes. we are... Uh, an African people, you know, you can you can take the African out of Africa, but you can't take the Africa out of the African. And so, you know, so the the rhythm of the drum uh, and and the, the polyrhythms and syncopations uh, and blue tonalities of of Africa still uh, were never lost, even throughout the transatlantic slave trade. Uh, one of the great stories in history. Not only was it not lost, but we we persevered with it and actually succeeded with it uh, as a survival mechanism. So. With that perspective, you have to give balance to all the music. I tell some of my gospel people some of the time that 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 uh, some of whom uh, have a problem with with the blues or hip hop or R and B. I tell them, you know what? You can't appreciate, you cannot appreciate the glory, hallelujah of the gospel without the pain of the blues True. and without the history and complexity of the spirituals and the work songs because they're all part of the same family. Absolutely. In fact, I'll, I'll just say it right here. I think that uh, you, Mr. Hines, as well as the Sounds of Blackness, I do believe in my heart because I was raised in the church, you know, church drummer from, you know, little guy. But I, yeah. I do believe that you and Sounds of Blackness are the answer to what Walter Hawkins, Andre, James mm -hmm. Cleveland were trying to do, but it was too mm -hmm. taboo back then right. and I think you know you couldn't really you couldn't really roll with that there were sometimes and and I'm here in uh northeast Ohio in this area before 1973 1974 it was even taboo to have drums in the church how about that you, you know what I mean and so the bass and you know bringing those contemporary rhythms and you saw Walter Hopkins you saw James Cleveland pushing that ever more and more until we got the Fred Hammonds and the commissioned and the Winans and whatnot. Right. But you said something too that I want to kind of uh, look at because you mentioned the hip hop, which, uh, you know, I, I agree the rhythm of the drum, but Sounds of Blackness in your most iconic time or uh, when you were at your most popular, hip hop was kind of the antithesis of what black life should be. And so your music being encouraging, uplifting, uplifting the human spirit, we were seeing a lot of things going on in hip hop. Right. Anti-black pro-life, if you understand mm -hmm. what I'm trying to say. I, I do, do. I do feel that music is spirit. And so could you just, could you, can, can you 
dig in a little deeper on that because all of your songs were uplifting, were uplifting the spirit, were encouraging, were making sure that if someone was depressed, hey, don't worry about that. Be optimistic, be encouraged. Yes. Could you can you speak to that a little bit? Absolutely, you know, um, and at the time that as you mentioned, allude to my brother, um, there was so much negativity on the airwaves and, and, and so many people tell us that optimistic was literally like a breath of fresh air um, in terms of some positivity and motivation and inspiration, you know, for the people and for all people, really. And right. that was very deliberate, um, you know, but we, we always have reached out um, to uh, our brothers and sisters uh, and worked with them uh, in the hip hop community. We've, we've, we've been blessed to collaborate with Salt and Pepper. Uh, yeah. Shout out to them uh, and Spinderella. We didn't forget you, baby. Um, <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, uh, we we recorded with and performed with them uh, with Craig Mack, uh, which surprised mm -hmm. us a lot spirit. of people because you know Craig, right? Why with spirit? Because because yeah. you know, as you know, Craig, rest his soul. You know, we just lost him a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, Craig at the time was coming pretty hard. You know, mm -hmm. and I, I know you remember. Sure, so, you know, people weren't so much surprised at, at uh, Sounds of Blackness, uh, you know, doing a hip hop or track with hip hop with hip hop artists. But with Craig Magnus and man, he, he, you know, he's straight up streets like, yeah, but no, that's what it's all about. You know, scripture says to go into the highways and hedges, that's you know, right. so it's about the street. That's right. And, and that's yeah. beautiful. I knew I knew we had to get together. <laughs> I knew oh, it. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you already know. That, that's absolutely on point. So when we talk about balance, too, from the standpoint of being this producer, this entree musician, what about the balance of working with so many different personalities within the sounds of blackness? How do you navigate that? Uh, well, again, I, I got a serious answer for you and then a funny answer for you. <laughs> uh, the serious answer first is why, you know, only by the grace of God. Yeah. And by the dedication of a lot of great singers and musicians, and I'm glad you met you, you referred to us as a band because yeah. so often people just refer to our vocalists, but all that instrumentation you hear on the record, that's that's not hired help. That sounds a blackness band. Wow. We have a ten piece orchestra, and wow. we always have had you know horns and all. Um, now that's the serious answer. The funny answer is this: um, speaking of people who we lost, you know, just uh, some years ago, uh, the late great Roger Troutman. You know, mm -hmm. everybody knows Zap. Absolutely. And everybody knows Zap was a really big band. Right. Okay? You know, they, they had like 12, 15, whatever right. they So, <laughs> So uh, Roger would, had a, something in common with Prince. He would call at 2 or 3 in the morning like it was the middle of the day. And, wow. just, and, and, and Roger, would, you, Roger would always say your whole name, say, Gary Hines, I got a groove for Sounds of Blackness. You know, all the, just just real outgoing thing, just... Uh, Call up two, three, three uh oh, might be right. Gary Hines, I've been thinking about this kind of so one morning he called, you know, two or three in the morning, so oh Lord, here we go. And he calls me up. Now this is not think about the question you asked me about in terms of dealing with so many people, right? So he says, Gary Hines. He said, uh, how you doing? I said, brother, I'm all right. He said, I want you to know, Gary Hines, that I've been praying extra hard for you. I said, well, brother, thank you, but but why is that? He said, because I know what it's like to be in charge of a bunch of Negroes. <laughs> I hollered at my apartment at three in the morning. I, you know, I'm sure my neighbors thought I was crazy, but <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> I can dig it. <laughs> But that's a true story, I promise you. Man, that no, that's that's beautiful. We, you know, we we are just uh just several miles from Dayton, Ohio, and Roger yeah. Trout 
major zap, major influence over this area, you know. Oh, yeah, also, yeah. Bootsy Collins, you know. Yeah, yeah Bootsy That's East Coast funk right there, baby. So, you know, yeah, that's right in my backyard. <laughs> yeah, shout out, shout out to Bootsy. We've been blessed, you know, to work with him. You know, one of the things, and I don't want to digress because your question is so excellent, but one of the things that's happened overseas sometimes gets it more than right here at home gets it in terms of crossing genres on the kind of thing. So, you know, we've been on stage, you know, with, with Bootsill and some of the people, Benjamin, overseas, you know, at, where were we at the, um, the um, North Sea Jazz Festival? Uh, it yeah. was, you know, here we are, you know, have, have a remember in, 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 in Holland, you know, yeah. and it's like, and we're backstage, you know, it's like, oh man, how come we ain't doing this at home? Right, you know, but, but they get it, you know. <laughs> Absolutely, no. We have a very dear friend in um, Carlton uh, J. Smith. You may know Carlton. He has a regent's uh, uh, residency in in uh, China, and wow. uh, yeah, yeah. He, he's called Soul Brother Number New. He does his James Brown <laughs> review over there, and he tells me all the time, "Man, you got to get overseas. You got to get overseas because yep. they understand funk, they understand soul, That's and." Even a lot of the jazz groups, contemporary jazz groups, the first place they hit is the UK before they'll do a date in Seattle. Yeah, how about that? Isn't that you know what I mean? That? It's yeah, amazing. I, I, I'm already there. Yeah. But speaking in terms of travel and touring, we're talking about balance. What about the expense of taking a 10-piece orchestra plus your vocals uh, and the, the, the mechanics of being on the road with that type of ensemble? Can you speak to that a little bit? Absolutely. Well, what we have and we, we, we needed to have and that, that many uh, ensembles uh, like us also develop, we have a touring group. So that, that's a smaller number. So the touring group is 16. And that's still a lot of bodies to take sure. on the road, but it's not 40 bodies. OK, right, right. so when we go on the road, we have our, our seven or eight piece band and then eight or nine vocals. So like usually 16 um, is our traveling number. But even logistically with that, you know, that that it can be a challenge because people think of a band, they think in terms of four or five people. Right. Right. Um, right. But, but when we go on the road, uh, Brother Jerry B, we we um, are very self-contained. Um, everything from, uh, you know, hair, makeup, wardrobe. I mean, on, everybody has, you know, a, a secondary job that they perform on the road. For example, my, you know, I'm the music director and play keyboards along with our assistant director, uh, Brother Billy Steele. But my job on the road is road manager. So I call ahead and, you know, check the hotel and the flights and all that kind of so, so because if we didn't do that, then that would mean extra personnel that we, you know, to bring along that we really can't afford to do, that we really need those bodies on stage performing. Absolutely. Well, that's, yeah, that's sure. very good. That's the essence of being an entrepreneur <laughs> musician because it's not just the music. It is the calling. No, it is sir. the calling up. Uh, you know, it's funny <laughs> you put it that way because uh, a Prince, rest his soul, used to always say, if it was only just the music. Right. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Prince, now, did you got yeah. did your connection come uh, through Jam and Lewis, or did you know him prior to Perspective Records, or what? Actually, uh, the latter, brother. Um, you know that relationship, just like the Jam and Lewis relationship, goes back like forty plus years, uh, and and not long after again after uh, you know the Heinz family, my family moved uh, here to Minneapolis from Yonkers, New York. Um, Prince and I went to the same junior high and high school. I was like four or five years ahead of him. Um, but here's what happened. There's, there's, there's Bryant Junior High School here in Minneapolis. In fact, only about a mile or so from where I'm speaking to you at. Um, and uh, just a few blocks from, from Bryant Junior High School 
is uh, Central, or was Central High School. They, they torn it down and remodeled it kind of thing. But the relevance of that is this. Um, there was a lot of interaction, uh, my brother, between the two schools, uh, both the, especially their music and their academic, uh, excuse me, their athletic uh, programs. Uh-huh. And so i never forget my senior year at Central High School, I started hearing rumors about this, this dude down at Bryan Junior High School down the road who was a beast on every instrument. You know, I mean, early, even back then kind of thing, you know, wow. and of course, the rest is history. But um, over the years, we we uh, were blessed to perform, you know, with Prince, you know, again, just like with Jam and Lewis um, at, at uh, events like the Minneapolis Northside Festival, you know, in the heart of the Northside Black community here yeah. uh, at the annual Miss Black Minnesota pageant or the annual Urban League dinner. So many times we were very, very, very familiar with each other, uh, rehearsed, performed. Uh, and then when uh, you know, just like Jam and Lewis, uh, when when Prince went on to international stardom, he he never forgot about us. When when he did the Batman soundtrack, he called in the sounds of blackness. You know, we did two of the songs on that. Uh, when he started the Love Sexy tour, uh, kicked it off here in Minneapolis. You know, we opened it up with him. So uh, many many projects together, and but the friendship goes back, like I said, forty plus years, and uh, it it it's still painful and and almost unrealistic to think you know that he's not here. Certainly, certainly. Now, so uh, he obviously, for stage purposes, for presentation, gave a certain persona. But, you know, I mean, of course, Sheila E.'s book, Morris Day now has a book, you know, they spoke a lot into his humanness. And I think, I don't know, I know Jimmy Jam has a show. I don't think Jimmy has wrote a book yet. But can you speak to the humanness, the prince that we were not, we didn't have so much access to? Okay, absolutely. And there's a few. First of all, uh, the first thing I think that he would probably want me to say, um, the, the, the media, for whatever reason, uh, my brother, tends to, to downplay how Afrocentric he was. Okay, sure. When, sure. He, and when he wrote and recorded the song Baltimore and went there to the rally, you know, after the brother was, was killed by the police. That, I mean, that's where his heart was. That wasn't about publicity or record sales or anything else. He's always been about that. You know, when the in 1967, uh, here in Minneapolis, you know, when, when the riots broke out, I mean, he's been involved uh, in the community uh, or was involved here in the community like forever. So he's always been about the people. He would um, anonymously, uh, we, we, we know now, send uh, donations to places like uh, some of the charter schools, uh, the Urban League, um, the NAACP, um, just so many of uh, the Seed Academy, so many things here um, that, uh, so he was always about that. So you know, he, he, he loved all people. Let me be clear. We, we know he loved, but he had a special love for his people. Um, and, you know, and, and was really about the movement. Um, that that's number one, um, on the more personal side, um, you know, he was, he was, uh, well, some, another people that, that, that another thing people may not know, he was a great athlete. Um, the basketball, (laughs) right, right. You know, one of, one of his uh, favorite things, he was an all city basketball player, you know, despite his height, which, you know, Minneapolis knows that, but a lot of people like, I know they saw the skit, you know, with Dave, they thought was that, you know, uh, comedy. No, he can really, (laughs) one of his favorite things to do. He had uh, a brother, he had a, you know, a basket, a hoop out at Paisley park. And, you know, Paisley, Paisley, um, all the time, uh, international uh, 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 actors and, and athletes, you know, the jocks, the superstars would come through, you know, just to check out the tour of Paisley. 
And sometimes, you know, and so one of his favorite things to do, you know, would be uh, he'd bring out a basketball and say, hey, y'all want to do, you want to go a little one-on-one? And they'd <laughs> laugh because they didn't know, you know, kind of thing, you know. So, but, and, but he would take them to the hole, you know. <laughs> but yeah, so a real prankster, a uh, real hard for people. Um, and uh, he was another one that would pour out his soul just in terms of, you know, the personal side of him. Uh, he, like I say, like Roger, he would call at two or three in the morning. Um, unlike now, Roger was very loud spoken. Prince was very soft spoken, but they both had in common. They would always say your full name, uh, Gary Hines. I was thinking about this. It sounds black as Gary Hines. And uh, <laughs> but we, we would, there were four or five things we would always talk about when he would call. Uh, we would talk about God. We were talking about music, sports, uh, and and beautiful women. Not necessarily in that order. In that order, right? <laughs> well, th- thank you for giving us a little bit more <laughs> glimpse. You know, it is a huge loss, not only to the music industry, but uh, you know, songwriters and just his approach yes. to production, uh, yes. his uh, proficiency on everything that he picked up, just out of this world. Incredible. Just just uh, absolute genius. Yeah. Well, now let me ask a little bit more about you. We've talked about Sounds of Blackness. We've talked about the uh, the genres, the spirit of the band, the touring. <laughs> let me ask you about Gary Hines. You've already said that uh, your mom was a singer. Now, did you come from a musical family? What is kind of the upbringing and the journey of Gary Hines? Absolutely. So, so much of that, you know, um, musical upbringing, of course, um, I, I owe uh, to my mom, the late, great Doris Hines. I mean, she performed with people like Nat King Cole, Ella Fitzgerald, Sarah Vaughn, Della Reese, uh, you name it, uh, Duke Ellington. Uh, and she toured the world as well, you know. So, so um, she was a, a great artist in her own right. But growing up in Yonkers, New York, there was all that music around us. And then in our neighborhood, Brother Sherry, I mean, you know, there was we were surrounded by um music uh, of so many ethnicities coming out of the windows on a hot summer night. So you would hear uh, Greek and, and uh, Jewish and Cuban and, and Jamaican, you know, and then on the corner, you know, guys singing doo-wop. I mean, all that was in. And what was on the jukebox? Yeah, I said jukebox. I'm going all the way back to the 60s. You know, all, <laughs> all that music. Um, but but I uh, my formal training, actually, originally, I'm a drummer. And so a shout out to uh, the Samuel H. Dow American Legion Drum Corps, Yonkers, New York. Samuel H. Dow was the first black man to die uh, in World War I from Yonkers, New York. And uh, so they named this drum corps after him. And me and my brothers were were in that drum corps. So uh, Brother Johnny Stewart, rest his soul, you know, was a trained me and my brothers in as drummers. uh, And we were in that drum corps. So that's my music background is as a drummer and, and hearing all that multiple uh, that multi-ethnic music uh, coming up, and then of course being surrounded by uh, in the household, my mom as she practiced her jazz, but then of course uh, at, at uh, Messiah Baptist in, in Yonkers, you know there was spirituals, gospel, and anthems. We used to sing them all in the church. Oh, yeah. Now, oh yeah, you know, right. So you'd hear all three. Wow. So what what uh, made you move uh, full time from drums to uh, keyboards? Uh, you know what? I it, that's a great great questions all across the board by the way my brother um i always had a fascination with the keyboard even just to look at it it was like it was calling me it just it just yeah. like looked inviting it's like you know just if he's even as a drummer and then of course as you know you know piano is, a, is actually a percussion instrument Correct. um and so i, I always had a uh, a fascination with it 
and uh, but didn't really start to um, uh, act on that fascination until uh, my sophomore year in, in high school. Um, and, uh, you know, basically self-taught, but, but I would immerse myself and was blessed to, to be um, uh, influenced by some master keyboardists, uh, the late great Reverend uh, Bill Perry, a native of Birmingham, Alabama, um, who uh, was just a monstrous uh, pianist uh, and was playing uh, these huge jazz uh, chords, you know, in, in church. And, you know, okay. the, the folks weren't ready for it. This was in the 60s. <laughs> the stuff that we hear now, you know, he was playing back then. I kid oh. you not. And, and, and you talk about uh, folks you know, raised eyebrows and all that. But I came <laughs> up hearing all of that uh, yeah. and, and, and uh, learning, uh, you know, from him quite a bit. Man, I know the uh, uh, this goes back to the 80s, a uh, uh, famous drummer turned pianist. His name is Barry Miles. You may know his music. I think he's back in New York. But, uh, I, you know, he was asked the same question, you know, but he said for him, the drums were too limiting for what he was hearing in his head, you know, and ah, so he was, okay. just became a master keeper. But that's his approach. I just yeah. moved from one percussion instrument to the other, you know. Yep. Yes, sir. <laughs> now, I don't recall you singing, at least being a lead singer, on no, uh, any Sounds of Blackness albums. Is that by design or what? That is definitely by design. My singers give me such a bad time. You know, I <laughs> singing is not my gift. You know, I, I can hit a little bit of bass uh, vocal, but that's about it. But I, I teach them their, most of their parts, you know, by singing them to them, you know, audibly kind of thing. And yeah. uh, you know, they, so they remind me all the time that I'm not a singer, <laughs> um, you know, but it's all good. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so uh, let's do, let's do a little rapid question and answer here. If you can okay. sum up in one word, these artists whom you work with that I'm, I'm going to give you, uh, give me a one word perspective when I say Stevie Wonder. Genius. <laughs> Quincy Jones. Uh, maestro. Mm, amazing. Michael Jackson. Um, artist. True artist. A little closer to home. Ann Nesby. Oh, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> um, extraordinary. Mm. <laughs> Very, very good. You know, around here, we call her Aretha Franklin Jr. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, she is. And, I, and, I, and speaking of Anne, and, uh, you know, we remain close to this day and still do projects and so forth, even as she's embarked on her solo career for several years now. But I'm just, I would be remiss if I didn't say, I know she would want me to send love to your brother. And yeah. so a shout out to Anne and from Anne to you. Thank you very much. I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. A couple, uh, a couple more. Uh, Elton John. Elton John, brilliant. Luther brilliant. Vandross. Oh, my goodness. Luther. Um, well, I, I, you know, I, know I, already, I already said artist, consummate artist. Um, entertainer. Mm. Yeah. Enter yeah. yeah. Uh, one of the most fabulous shows that I've ever attended, and I've tried to attend as many as I could, but the most perfect show I've ever seen was a Luther Vandross presentation. Flawless. Uh, 
Bless you, brother. Yeah. Nat Adderley Jr. directing, yes. meticulously directing the band. I've never been to a show yeah. like that. We we were so blessed to tour with Luther for uh, almost uh, half a year uh, in 1991, uh, 92. Um, and... Uh, it was just absolutely amazing. In fact, it was uh, it was the Power of Love tour uh, mm. with with Lisa Fisher. Shout out to Lisa Fisher yeah. and uh, uh, the great Sinbad. Oh know, yeah, whole kind of thing. And then uh, Sounds of Blackness uh, would open up with the music in, and then we would all do a big grand finale. And that was just uh, one of the times of our lives. So you know, just um, all the love to the, the memory and legacy of uh, the late great Luther Vandross. Absolutely. Absolutely. Miss him, miss him, miss him. Now, I'm sure you've worked with Marcus Miller and Marcus were oh, yeah, good yeah. friends and uh, producer. Your bass meister. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and you know, we again, so uh, we, we've done some things with Marcus. We've been blessed to, you know, of course, um, you know, here stateside, but then also overseas as well. I think uh, we did something with him as well. Um, I think at the Notting Hill Festival, if I'm not mixing, but again, overseas and, you know, you're backstage stage and you're saying, Man, this is great, but how come we ain't doing this at home? You know, <laughs> but they they met. Oh, you know what it was? I think it was actually the Montreux in, in Switzerland. Wow. Um, yeah, jazz festival. Yeah, and it's like, man, this is this is awesome. We we were we were backstage, and now check out this. They put together this grand finality. Uh, brother Claude Knobs, who's the producer of of uh, Montreux. Yeah. Um, Isaac Hayes, uh, Olita Adams, mm. uh, Sounds of Blackness, and Little Richard. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. It was, but see, they they don't have that genre hang up. They just thinking like, oh man, how how great would this be to have these artists together and do my grand just impromptu? I mean, this was literally put together like uh, an hour before the the night was about to end. And he says, "Would you guys come and do this?" And and I know we did a, a tribute to the stable, saying, "Would you guys do? I'll take you there." You know, say, "Sure, we can yeah. do that." So the band's getting it all together and all that to say, and uh, yeah, so we did that. Wow. Yeah. That's, a, that's amazing. But you're, you're right. There is no hang up on genres. I mean, 70s right, radio, right, right. when we were growing up, I mean, you would listen to Parliament Funkadelic and then throw on uh, Steely Dan and then yes, throw on Fleetwood yes. Mac and then you would go to Cameo or BT yeah, Express, you know. Yep. That's amazing. So it I'm going to ask you a couple more questions. I really appreciate your time. Uh, oh, but my honor, brother. But but here's a question because you've seen the the echelons, the higher echelons of the major labels, as well as being on independent labels yourself. And uh, right. so, can you can you guide the young entree musicians through points to look out for if you're being courted by a major label or if you were being courted by the indie? What would be the best? foundation to stand upon not them being themselves but being business people to look out for you need to pay attention to this you need to regard that absolutely great question my brother um in terms of the major label side um just to to make sure that that you do have uh, legal representation um and uh management uh experience management that you communicate with them like our management uh ken blackwelder management uh Brent Harris is our manager. Um, uh, and he's out in LA and we're in Minneapolis, but we communicate every day, frequently more than once a day. Mm -hmm. So uh, communication is key and uh, that, that everything is reviewed beforehand and discussed even in rough draft uh, uh, form. 
Um, yes, sir. Reduced to writing, uh, uh, troubleshooted, and then uh, before it's even a formal, whatever it is, uh, whatever project it is or contract, before it's even a formal document, then you're, you're conversing about it. You know all the different ins and outs of it uh, before it's in its final form, uh, you know, for review. So to, yeah. to stay ahead of the game and communication is key. And I would say that would also apply to the, the independent side as well. Um, probably not to as great a degree, but I think the, the, the same um, uh, template would, be, would hold true. Yes. Yes, that's excellent. Yeah. Now, which season did you enjoy more? Because you've had success on both levels, but which season yeah. do you think you enjoyed more? The major label gives a little more distribution, of course, a little right. bit more radio, but I want you to share with us what you thought was the time where it was the best of both worlds for you. Wow. Um, you know, to be, I always try to answer everything that I'm asked, and I hear exactly what you're asking, but each one has had its, and I'm not just trying to be diplomatic here. Sure. Each one has is, is had its, uh, its, its um, uh, strengths and weaknesses. Um, certainly on the major label side, um, uh, with, the, with, the, with the distribution uh, and with the access, you know, and the, the soundtracks, all those other things, uh, the sponsored tours, um, there's, there's a, a, a level of, of gratification that comes with that. But then on the, on the flip side, on the independent side, where those big dollars are not there, okay, but when you're able to, to break through to radio, uh, to tour, to a soundtrack, whatever, and you've done it pretty much on your own, that's a whole nother level of, of, of satisfaction and gratification and appreciation. So yes, I, I hope you hear you, uh, both sides. I do. I'm getting, I do. So now, uh, how has streaming impacted, you know, from where it was unit sales, downloads, and now it's just streaming? Has that had a right. major impact on the legacy of Sounds of Blackness? Uh, it, it, yes. And of course, on, on really all artists, uh, you know, that, that have uh, been in a situation uh, situated as we are, um, it, that, that uh, where physical sales, um, you know, were, were the foundation. Um, at first, uh, you know, definitely a negative impact um, yes, because, uh, you know, in terms of the the uh, the buying audience uh, and the demographics, in terms of who streams and who doesn't, and who's going still wants to go to the record store, as Prince would say, you know, the record store, record right store, you know. <laughs> um, but 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 now, fortunately, um, it's coming back around where where um, the streaming and and the digital end can be uh, and is being uh, uh, considered as a plus as opposed to a minus. That's beautiful. Yeah. Well, I, I certainly appreciate that. Now, let me ask you this, this final question. Well, before I do, let me say this. You and I first hooked up with an email. You were gracious enough to allow us the opportunity to forward a license of Everything's Gonna Be All Right by the great guitarist Eric Tyus down in South Carolina. And, uh, and I want you to know that in 2020, we will be moving on that radio uh, campaign. You wrote an excellent oh. song. So thank you for allowing oh. us the opportunity to do that. Oh, but, my honor, brother. Uh, well, it's, it's absolutely our honor. And I'll just say this, and Eric would want me to say this because his wife was passing away uh, during oh. that time of this recording. And so we utilized her voice and her part of saying everything's going to be all right. That's one of the hooks that we use that oh, sample of her voice. So in honor of uh, Jean Tyus, who has now transitioned. 
But my final question to you, my friend, is what was the question you wanted me to ask you, you were (laughs) anticipating me to ask you, and I did not? Would you answer that unasked question? Okay. Uh, let's see. And you, and you are so thorough and professional in your presentation, brother, that you, you put me on the spot. Let's see. I would maybe say um, what Sounds of Blackness' current focus is. Um, and, and the answer to that would be um, our current single with Jam and Lewis called Till I Found You, mm. featuring, of course, uh, none other than Ann Nesby and the <laughs> late great Big Jim Wright. Yes, Big Jim, Big Jim. Yes, so shout out to the memory of Big Jim. Yes. Um, But yes, so that, we are so blessed, brother, because uh, Sounds of Blackness is because uh, that single is the first single released from the forthcoming Jam and Lewis uh, compilation CD called Jam and Lewis Volume 1, which is going to have uh, recordings from all the different artists they work with. I mean, uh, everything... uh, Babyface, Mariah Carey, Jennifer Hudson, uh, uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire, I mean, just boys to men, all, we're on there, and, and Sounds of Blackness is the first release, so even to be a part of that is, is, is an honor and a blessing, but to be the first is, is just um, really, um, I don't know, a tribute to us, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely is, to be the first uh, artist that they signed, and then when the compilation comes out, to be the first single from that is a huge tribute to you. And you deserve it. And listen, let me tell you something. My nose is brown enough. I don't have to say anything I don't mean. I I can tell you there were times that the sounds of blackness music, the lyrics, the content, the presentation brought me and those that I've worked with and those in my family through some terrible times. When you say, you know what, everything's going to be all right. When you say, I believe... You know, when you say, no matter what it takes, I'm going to make it. I'm going all the way. All I mean, the way. these are anthems. These, they get in your spirit. So thank you for writing music that remains. Your music is not just locked in the 90s, brother. It's not. Okay. It lives today and it will live tomorrow. So God bless you, man. And thank you for allowing Holy Spirit to use you in such a way where your impact is worldwide. Oh, bless you, brother. I just give all glory and praise and thanks to God, you know, uh, who makes it all possible. I ain't got a whole lot of sense, but I got got enough to know that. Amen. Amen. Well, I appreciate you. I hope those of you who are watching and listening could hear the depth of spirit in this brother's voice. I'm telling you, if you don't know anything about Sounds of Blackness, you definitely have a history. You can go back on YouTube. You can go on Spotify. You can get their music and let it marinate in your spirit like it has in mine. But so is this wonderful brother who's sitting to the left of your screen. In fact, this is the second time that he's graced our platform. We love him so much. We honor him. And we have to say he is at the level of the ultra entree musician. That's three-time Grammy Award winning. Tons of other accolades that we're, we're going to walk through. But this is Gary Hines of The Sounds of Blackness. But before I say hello, I was thinking about this from our last conversation. And it's, it's like, I love this brother so much. I honor him so much. I actually wrote it down. It's like, Gary Hines, how I love thee, let me count the ways. There are five ways 
that entree musicians can really learn from Gary Hines. First of all, number one, I love this brother and I wrote it down, you see, because he is the most transparent, truthful, honest brother in the music industry today. And that's a very rare find. Number two is his knowledge and history of a people, particularly an African people of the diaspora is impeccable. So you wanna know about black history, you need to know Gary Hines. Number three, Gary, your ability to take the knowledge of our people and to create rhythms and a sound that remains contemporary and relevant, provide ample training ground for entree musicians everywhere. Number four, your body of work has touched the world and that is global, but you remain humble, you remain sensitive and accessible to regular Joes like me. I love you for that, bro. Number five is you never, ever, ever stop and you just keep the motivation flowing. So that's why I really why I love Gary Hines. Well, on behalf of Sounds of Blackness, my brother, we love you right back. And, and we appreciate uh, everything you said, you know, and it, it only happens uh, by the grace of God, by the dedication of, of uh, wonderful singers and musicians in the Sounds of Blackness. And the third uh, component is the support of people like you. You know, there's a scripture that says, how will they hear without a preacher? Well, you know, when it comes to music, how will they hear without a DJ, without a radio station? We can make all the music we want, but without people like you, brother Jerry, uh, the people won't hear it. So uh, I ain't got a whole lot of sense, but I got enough to know that. So I, I thank you. Uh, we send that love right back to you, my brother. We receive it, man. We really do, man. I am not going to ask you any of the questions that I asked in our last conversation because I wouldn't okay. want to deprive our people of going back. And if they haven't listened to that, to listen to it and hear all of the things that I talked about, the knowledge, the music, uh, where you've been, where you're going and everything that is relevant about not only the sounds of blackness, but Gary Hines. But the one thing that I want to do, Gary, is I want to get personal and I want to go deeper because our last conversation, okay. you actually had me do some homework and that is on the legacy and life of your wonderful mother, Doris Hines. Yes. I, oh my gosh. The video, and I'm going to put a link to that video in the show notes of this podcast, but she was 90 years old and she was there in Minneapolis and you were at the piano and you had a band and she was being interviewed and she was doing songs at 90. And it was a beautiful display. What I wanna ask is what does it mean? There's six children, she is absolutely doing her thing. What does yes. it mean to grow up in a household of such a stellar talent and artistry? What does that mean? Help us understand that. Yes, sir. Well, it was a phenomenal experience, my brother, as your, as your question uh, uh, wisely implies and infers. Um, mom, you know, was uh, a force of nature. Uh, we can still feel her spirit. My sisters and I talk about that all the time. And uh, just like we feel the spirit of our ancestors, we just have to be receptive to it. But I, I won't go off on a tangent there. But um, well, you, one of the you're going to have to because that's why we're here. Okay. Uh, okay. Yes, sir. Uh, but uh, growing up in Yonkers, New York, so shout shout out to my hometown, Yonkers, you know, long-term resident here in Minneapolis, but uh, still got a uh, mighty love for Yonkers. Grew up in the, the same uh, projects as uh, DMX and Mary J. Blige, uh, slow bomb projects, right? Right in the hood. So, you know, got that, that pride of Yonkers. But mom, 
Um, her mom was from Kingston, Jamaica. And so you had, you know, that Jamaican pride and blood mixed in with a New York attitude. And that was an unstoppable force. Uh, my brothers and I, rest their souls, um, loved the drums, even as, as, as small kids. Uh, and we would take out mom's pots and pans and, and start beating on them. Now, any other household, it would have been, give me that noise. Okay, cut it out. Mom was like, nope. You all play until your heart's content. And as I think about it now, I'm sure it was obnoxious and loud and annoying, but she was still encouraging. In fact, what she did with that, Brother Jerry, is uh, she and my dad uh, took us to uh, the only black drum corps in Yonkers, the uh, Samuel H. Dow American Legion number 1017. And, and, you know, they were all grown men. We were the only uh, adolescents there, my brothers and I. Uh, but uh, Brother Johnny Stewart taught us the drums uh, and all that was with, with mom and dad's uh, encouragement and support. Uh, now, they did later get us uh, uh, rubber drum pads. You know, when we were at <laughs> Quiet it down just a little bit, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Not nearly the volume of, of the pots and pans, but uh, still encouraged our practicing every day. And uh, being in that environment with mom practicing her jazz vocals uh, and being in, in uh, to use a current term, a multi-ethnic neighborhood, there was Jewish, German, Irish, Italian, uh, Jamaican, Cuban, uh, Greek, and then all those uh, music styles would be emanating from the windows on hot summer nights. So it was a real potpourri of music. Uh, and then just coming back to mom to end up uh, the answer to your question, my brother. Um, even as kids, we knew it was special, you know, uh, when mom would get those calls from people. And she was just everyday people. And talk about keeping it 100. Yeah. I mean, she was the model for that. But uh, the phone would ring sometimes, and it might be Sarah Vaughn, yeah. you know, or it might be Ella or, or, or Maya Angelou. Mama, Miss Maya's on the phone. And, and we didn't understand fully, but we knew it was special kind of thing. And uh, they'd start out their conversations. Girl, how you do? You know, kind of thing. Just, um, so it was amazing growing up in that household, to answer your question, brother. That's, that's awesome, man, because uh, Maya Angelou, Ella Fitzgerald, Sarah Vaughn, um, uh, Nat King Cole uh, telling yes. Ella, you can't miss uh, uh, Dorsey's show. You just got to go. Right. So for them to be sitting in the audience admiring her genius is, man, I found that to be so delightful. Me she, too, brother. <laughs> so when did yeah. you know, when did it strike you that, you know, you said if, if they're calling on the phone, um, that, hey, Miss Maya's on the phone. But when did you understand the genius that you guys were around. When did that kick in? Were you adolescent? Were you, you know, st still in your formative years? Or you, you know what, my brother, and I hear what you're asking. I think the most accurate uh, answer, brother Jerry B, is that we always appreciated, but as we matured, our appreciation matured on different levels with it. So even as adolescents, because you know, mom was uh, won the um, Arthur Godfrey Talent CBS. Uh, a special that was it back in the day that was the equivalent of american idol yeah you know and it's like mom's on tv so as adolescents we understood and appreciated such as adolescents can yeah. and then that just elevated uh, and, and increased into our teens and then into our adulthood kind of thing so it was always there i think it's most accurate to answer your question brother but just as we matured it matured with us it deepened so now but the yeah. author godfrey so she had tried out for that 17 times she all just 17 17 times. that's, that's right that's that jamaica <laughs> new york right <laughs> that, see what i'm saying 
That's right. And and look, wasn't no cars. She would catch the bus to catch the the, the, the subway, the, the train, you know, and occasionally would take me with her, you know, just sitting here. I was, you know, a little toddler kind of thing. Um, but yes, yeah, 17 times, brother. Talk about never say die. Yeah. Now, was your father musical as well? Was he a musician or, or a singer? Um, to a degree. In fact, they met uh, in there was a youth, uh, a black youth choir in Yonkers, uh, actually in Nepperhan, uh, which was a, an all black community in Yonkers at the time. Uh, the Nepperhan Youth Choir, uh, all black under, she would say the name all the time, under the director of, she was calling him Maestro Frank Parker. Uh, and that's where they met, actually, because dad's side of the family, obviously, you know, he, they had migrated to New York, but dad's side of the family uh, is from North Carolina. Uh, and, you know, so they met in the Frank Parker uh, uh, Black Youth Corral there in Nepperhan in Yonkers. Yeah. Uh, and like they say, the rest is history. Absolutely. Now, you probably and correct me if I'm wrong, but you probably being the most celebrated uh, of her children as far as what your body of work has encompassed. But how mm -hmm. is uh, your mom's legacy penetrating down to your children and, and grandchildren of your siblings? How is it? Is it permeating still? Are they oh, active? Absolutely. You know, mom's uh, legacy uh, and heritage uh, clearly and demonstrably lives on in all of us, brother Jay. Great question, too, by the way. Uh, even like I say, the, uh, the grandkids, uh, the, the grand nieces and the grand nephews, uh, as well as the nieces and nephews, um, always talk about Now We had nicknames for her. She would always Zoom around, so we would call her Zoom. So Grandma Zoom, you know, um, they always, to this day, uh, in fact, my, one of my nieces texted me, texted me last night. Uh, she lives out in, in uh, Connecticut now, back to the East Coast. And uh, she was talking about uh, some things that she remembered from uh, Grandma Zoom. So, uh, but, it, but also, Brother Jerry, um, even up into uh, her late 80s and, and the 90s, as you said, um, she would regularly, I would bring her, she would want, she would insist on attending a Sounds of Blackness rehearsals uh, or vocal rehearsals. And so, it, you know, she became such a fixture and she was hearing everything, you know, kind of thing. And so, uh, and she would impart knowledge, you know, to, to sounds, uh, sometimes during the rehearsals, sometimes after on the way out. Yeah. And so it was legacy, but it was also direct contact in terms of, of passing uh, her, her heritage on. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Man, thank you. Thank you for sharing her uh, with us. And like I said before, just because of our conversation last time, several months back, uh, it allowed me to do some homework uh, on her and on uh, just her career. First, um, first national, first black woman on a national TV commercial for the Northwestern Bell phone company. That's right, right. known as AT&T, that's right. And I'm glad you bring that up, but yeah, that's a true story. And you know what? Uh, in some states, uh, they wouldn't even play it, okay? In fact, one, you, now you think that that would just be Mississippi and Louisiana. No, one of the states to not play it was North Dakota. Really? Right, right, border state of Minnesota. So, so yeah, uh, so she's, always been also i would be remiss if i didn't say uh politically conscious and and socially kind in terms of uh you know our people so that came from mom as well and dad too yeah yeah so your history of our people that was homegrown then that was mother and absolutely letting you know exactly where you came from where you should be yeah. going yes absolutely you know and and uh being uh proud uh of our heritage 
uh, of, of then the, the, the physical aspects of our hair, of the darkness of our skin, you know, um, because back in the day in Yonkers, New York, I mean, back, back in the day, it was more offensive. So we thought uh, to be called, uh, instead of being called, you know, we call it nigger all the time, yeah. but to be called a black nappy headed African, that was really fighting words. So right? mom, Wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so you see the colorism is in there and then the whole anti-nationalist thing in terms of, of, of uh, trying to minimize Africa. But mom said, no, taught us no about pride uh, in our African heritage. And of course that was, you know, directly uh, related to her Jamaican roots and stuff as well. Uh, and, and she uh, always taught us uh, and imparted to us black history and social consciousness and, and took us to uh, when they were, I'm seeing you, I'm sure you've seen the old footage of, of, uh, uh, our parents picketing Woolworths when Woolworths was, was segregated or separate treatment kind of thing yes, to man. take us down there to pick. Mom, mommy, what's a picket? We're going. That's we're going to be picketing too, baby. You know, so you, and, and would explain, you know, in a way that I can understand. So it, it's all there. That's incredible. Now, you know what you're doing. Yeah. You do this all the time. So I got, <laughs> I, I, I got several questions that I said, this is what I'm going to ask. And then you push buttons that I have to ask other questions. Let's, because because uh, the N-word was uh, so offensive, there, there's a couple things here, and I, I want your perspective because I know that you will give us the truth, you will give us balance, and you will be very yeah. transparent in your answers. So with respect to being called the nappy-headed, uh, nappy-headed uh, African. Black African, yeah. Black African. Now, was that, and and the N word, we know that that came primarily from our white counterparts. But was that right. inclusive when other black people would say that to you? I mean, you would have this class distinction amongst black people. Would other black people use those words as weapons against uh, other blacks? Okay. Well, well, uh, the N word, my brother. You know, uh, two different uses. You know, with with the majority culture, N I G G E R. You know, but back in the day, you know, before hip hop gave it away to the world, you know, my nigga was, I mean, that was in-house members of the club. That was of endearment. Family. Yeah. Right. Right. Kind of thing. Yeah. And in terms of black nappy headed African, we generally wouldn't call go there. That would generally be from our white counterparts kind of thing, trying to offend us and push buttons, I you see. know. Uh, yeah. But of course, you know, uh, we... New York street attitude, you know, and, and, and rhyming ain't nothing new in, in New York and in our culture. Uh, <laughs> well, you know what? When they would call us, you know, black this and that, uh, we would say um, we're the best. And we got proof. The black of the berry, the sweet of the juice. <laughs> you, you, so, yeah. you, you know, it was always going to be something. You know, be, before the fight broke out, you know, when you signified and whooping kind of thing. But yeah, we so. Uh, despite those uh, those types of encounters occasionally, um, you know, like I say, mom and dad, you know, taught us that pride. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so now, so I and I've, I've heard this, and I've heard two different uh, spectrums of uh, the N word being the term of endearment, and then it being detrimental to you know us or being used as a weapon. Uh, and and you can have two camps of black people. Right. Uh, saying, well, no, you shouldn't use it at all, which, which right. I'm going to give respect to and understand. And then some, because even in my own family, we could just roll up and go, yo, 
my nigga, what's up? Right. You know what I mean? Right. So I understand both sides of it. Uh, and just to speak, and I, I don't want to delve into a political conversation. I really don't. But because yeah. of the, the recent, um, you know, um, activity of the Black Lives Matter, uh, with right. respect to uh, Black people who are on all sides of it, or, or let's just simplify it and say two sides of it, uh, there are some of us who say, well, you know, all lives matter and we should be inclusive mm-hmm. as to what everyone wants. And without, again, the political narrative pasted right. to it, then there are some, some people who says, no, there should be a priority. Uh, even to the extent that I found myself at, a, at the gym last Tuesday morning, kind of debating kindly with a white counterpart that I felt that all lives matter because that's just my makeup. I understand, mm-hmm. but he's telling me, a black man, no. <laughs> and I thought, this is pretty curious. That, that, that my counterpart can be telling me what my priorities should be. Where is Gary Hines on that? Again, leaving the politics out, but the narrative of Black Lives Matter versus All Lives Matter. Well, he, he's, it's a matter of perspective and, and, and how you hear or don't hear what that phrase means, okay? Yes, Yes, sir. Um, in fact, uh, one of our national nuns, uh, Sister Mary, uh, put it most, she's Caucasian, put it most succinctly. She said, we wouldn't have to say Black Lives Matter if for 300 years they didn't. So, uh, you know, in uh, the bottom line, of course, we know all lives matter, but that's not what we're saying. It would be like if, if, if uh, I came to your birthday party, uh, everybody's having a good time. And I said, wait, I have a birthday, too. It's like. No, we're dealing with you today, kind of, you know, and it would be like if you and I were were at a breast cancer fundraiser uh, and someone said, what about colon cancer? It's like they would never do that. So it's it's about the understanding that black lives have not mattered equally. Yeah. You know, so so that's black lives matter is a response to the fact that we have not and still do not matter equally and, and hence the differential treatment that we receive as we see in the streets and all of that. So people are saying, no, 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 you've treated us for centuries as though we don't matter equally. But so the reply to that is no, no, black lives matter. Truth, transparency, honesty. That's what we begin with. That's what you're going to get always from Brother Gary. And I appreciate your answer, man. I appreciate that. But yeah. you, push, you you really did walk us down that street when you were sharing with us the history <laughs> of your mom and your dad and, and your childhood. Yeah. Um, with your history of Negro spirituals, of where how our music has evolved, the evolution, evolution of gospel, of course, being uh, one of the titles of the Sounds of Blackness. Yeah. With that journey of knowing what happened in the 17, 1800s and early 1900s, we began this podcast really trying to delve into, not really define the spirit of music, but to delve into these components. And so when you hear the term, the spirit of music, knowing your rich history and what you have helped to bring about in contemporary society and contemporary music, when you hear the spirit of music, what, how do you define it? What perspective, you know, what bubbles up in your, your soul about, about that phrase? 
Well, the, the words of, of uh, some um, iconic artists come to mind by way of an answer to you, my brother. Uh, our great friend and, and the great Stevie Wonder uh, once said that music is the universal language. Uh, the great Ray Charles once said that every music, music of all people, styles, cultures, every music has its own soul. Okay? So um, the spirit of music, music emanates from our soul. Uh, there's music in the cosmos, not to get all deep. In fact, um, I, want I, was deep. I want you to get deep. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. That, that's not a problem then, brother. Um <laughs> I was watching, as I occasionally do, uh, you know, get home late, flip, flick on the TV, and some of my, my either nature or space shows are on, and uh, uh, about outer space, you know, kind of thing, the cosmos. And uh, they were saying that their instruments had picked up a, a, a pulse noise uh, from a star, I forget how many million light years away, and it was a specific note. It was a low A, 12 octaves below the low A on a piano. So I, I say that to say music is, is, is vibration, it's life, music is creation. Uh, at the center of that is rhythm uh, and melody. I mean, we've seen that, you've probably seen that footage, speaking of my nature shows, where they put a, a, a megaphone uh, out on the savannah and some of the animals, the elephants and giraffes start moving in time to the music. Okay, yeah, yeah, it's deep. I mean, you know, the birds sing. You know, I mean, I mean, it just goes on and on and on. So music is a, just sound itself is about vibration and, and vibration and motion and creation is about life. So music is at, at the core of life in terms of the, the spirit of it. Yes, sir. Mine. Yeah. Ah, so, so the, the going back in time, so the Negro spiritual uh, yes. sending messages, the freedom songs being carried about and code can you speak a little bit uh to that for those in our audience who may not know the history of that that part of our music oh certainly um in the african tradition brother jerry b um music has always been not art it's been life okay and music uh a part of every aspect of life birth death uh childhood uh, marriage politics war peace uh, every uh, education. So that's eons old with African people and, and, and certainly with other cultures of color as well, but certainly uh, in African uh, uh, people and, and ancestry. Uh, you could take the African out of Africa, but you could not take the Africa out of the African. So when enslaved Africans for centuries were brought to the shores of North America and across around the globe uh, to enhance the global economy, they brought that with them. And even though it was suppressed, they found different ways to manifest that. Yeah. One of the things, uh, and this is getting directly uh, to your question about the spirituals and the, and the double meanings. Um, in the black codes, there was one uh, particularly harsh one that decreed that it was punishable by death to even be caught trying to make a drum. Okay. Because the slave master feared, they knew that the drum was communication for us. Okay. So that was the first cell phone. So, you know, we were, of course, ahead of our time kind of thing. Right. Uh, so the, the slave master uh, uh, forbade that, uh, the making of that was punishable by death. But what did we do? We turned the body into the drum. That's where hand boning comes from, you know, making the body the drum. Uh, and then in terms of the double meanings, we've always had to do that as a people, as a survival mechanism. 
Some people mistakenly think that that's a folklore about the double meaning, but no, no. You can read, I can give you specifics or whoever has any question specifics. Uh, read the journals of Frederick Douglass, um, of Harriet Tubman, uh, and they give specific examples. For example, Frederick Douglass, uh, when he made his getaway, because we know Frederick Douglass was a, Frederick Douglass was a runaway, yes, um, to uh, across from plantation to plantation, steal away, steal away. And now, steal, now master thinks slaves are happy and they're, they're singing uh, just worshiping. But steal away Jesus to Jesus, the good ship Jesus was po- po- coming into port. You could be a stowaway there, okay? Right. Wade in the water, God's going to trouble the water was, you know, <laughs> yes, used in praise circumstances, but wade in the water will be sung from across field to across field to a runaway to let them know that the dogs were coming and to throw off the scent of the dogs to get in the water. So, and these, it's documented. Uh, so that, that's part of the, the, the beauty uh, of our people. Yes. Now let's go into the drum a little bit. Uh, you can't yes. get too far away from the sounds of blackness to know that there is a message in the drum, that there is something very sensitive spiritually yes. involved in the drum. Can you, can you elaborate? I know you yes, can. I'll do. Would you elaborate? <laughs> I, I'll, I'll do my best, brother. Uh, we even have a song that embodies uh, the essence of your question, brother Jerry. It's called yeah. We Are the Drum. And of course, the chorus goes on to say, uh, Africa to America, we are the drum. And then it goes on to say, the rhythm in our hearts is our freedom. So um, the drum represents the essence of, of African existence. Um, master drummers are revered. We were blessed to, to know for many years and to interact uh, with brother uh, Baba Tunde Olatunji. Uh, I'm sure you've heard the name, yep. Uh, Nigerian master drummer. Now, I'm gonna get a little bit musical for a minute. Uh, hopefully there's some music heads checking us out. Uh, Baba Tunde, or Baba, as those you know, we call him for short, was capable of playing in simultaneously in three different time signatures. Okay, now it's a challenge to play uh, a well in one time signature, right. much less two, but he could do it in three. And, and this, again, this is not folklore. I've been blessed to be in his presence. He came to Minneapolis, came to our junior high school, uh, uh, you know, when I, yeah, in fact, the same junior high as Prince, yeah. uh, Bryan Junior High School here in Minneapolis, uh, and, and turned us out. In fact, we walked out of school because he was going down the block to the high school central. And we told our teachers, no, we're going to hear this man again. It wasn't a question. <laughs> um, but, but, but I say that, and I know it's a slight digression, but I say that to illustrate firsthand what the drum has meant to us uh, in terms of soul, spirit, expression, uh, in terms of communication um, and uh, um, complexity. And, and, you know, and in some West African uh, dialects, my brother, the, the, the word for music and dance is the same word, you know, so how deep is that? Yeah. So uh, it, it's all about movement and life and expression and communication and has been for eons and continues to be. I tell my hip hop brothers, uh, especially the younger ones, nothing under the sun new. The whole notion of a spoken word uh, to rhythm to the drum is eons old. Uh, you know, we brought that with us. Now, granted, you know, what evolved out of New York uh, and Jamaica uh, it now, you know, from the 70s is a, is a new take on it, but nothing under the sun is new. Understood. 
Now, so we, we have to speak since we're talking, we're talking Africa, we're talking uh, the power of the drum, uh, the black codes. Uh, would you agree that there's some, that there's some music maybe from the drums, but there's some rhythms, there's some melodies that, you know, were used in witchcraft, were used as a, a demonic force or could, where music actually speaks life and is creative, is creativity itself, but other people may have, uh, even in our own history, used it to manipulate or to bring about witchcraft. What's the component in that? And I'm, I'm saying that because I want to understand, and this is going to be a broad series, so I'm talking to a lot of different musicians. What would be your answer on that or your perspective? Well, a couple of different perspectives, Brother Jerry. Um, much of it is misunderstanding uh, of the European, uh, from the European culture perspective with the African culture. Uh, they would see us uh, uh, praying by a tree, for example, and thought that we were worshiping the tree. I see. It's like, no, we're praying here as a source. God is in everything. And this tree represents is a, is a manifestation of his greatness, his glory kind of thing and growth. So, but, but you know, they weren't hearing that and not knowing that and, and took it to a whole other place. I okay. See. Um, and, and yeah. And, and in terms of, um, uh, of voodoo, um, and, and, and the music and the drum to it again, every aspect of life, uh, uh, had music and the drum to it. So that wouldn't be any exception at all. I see. Because, you know, um, I think we touched mm -hmm. on this in our last conversation because, of course, I mean, there, there, there's positive and negative. So where, where uh, Sounds of Blackness were bringing light to a situation, especially in those mid-90s, we had a culture of music from our own people that was really speaking death, uh, that was really promoting uh, a different lifestyle that would not be to the good of not only our people, but any people. You understand what I'm saying? So in using music as a exactly. to do in that. In fact, you know, we, we get told, I, I certainly do. So, you know, um, we, we hear all the time, and, and when that discussion comes up, Brother Jerry, um, how optimistic was literally a, a breath of fresh air uh, in the early 90s because the airways were filled uh, with gangster rap, you know, and actually most of them in minor keys, uh, you know, just just that that whole thing, and 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 uh, um, that was it was so preeminent and so predominant um, that again, people say that optimistic was literally, literally uh, and figuratively a breath of fresh air. It was in a major key. Um, it was a statement of faith. Um, it was it was a statement of hope. Uh, in the midst of all, like the opening line says, when in the midst of sorrow, you can't see up when looking down. Wow. You know, I talked to uh, Dr. Uh, uh, to uh, Professor Philip K. Jones, uh, Master of Music, and uh, he, he gave me a little bit of insight on the major and the minor keys. Can you, can you expound upon that with the major keys from his perspective being the light, uh, the minor keys, bringing some dissonance and some some darkness in there is that you know is, is is that a strong component or do you have another perspective on that because you just mentioned it so i yeah no th those are both strong components um i would uh you know respectfully add to that first of all it's it's 
um, the third interval that de that determines uh, whether or not a chord is a major or minor. So if it's a major third, then it's a major chord. If it's a if it's a minor third, uh, then it's then uh, it's a minor. You're in a minor. Um, but believe it or not, especially with African people, we can be hopeful uh, and and optimistic, if you will, even in some minor keys, and we can be conversely in a major and still uh, be be about the blues or something that that's that's a negative uh, uh, story or, or an unhappy story situation. So um, it, it it crosses both. It, it's not uh, just a blanket um, situation. All majors are happy. All minors are sad. Gotcha, gotcha, man. Again, that's why you're here, brother, to help <laughs> to teach us because we do want the best perspective <laughs> that we can have on the spirit of music. And uh, your input, your experience, and your insight has been, you know, uh, absolutely phenomenal. Now I'm going to ask you the way I always do. Was there a question you thought when I posed this conversation to you that I was going to ask or should have interjected and you thought he didn't he didn't hit it? How come you didn't ask this question, Jerry? What is the answer to that unspoken question? Okay. Uh one may I that comes to mind and it may you, you're probably not aware of it. Um, but believe it or not, um with our, our new single, um, uh, Sick and Tired, um, there are many black radio stations that are uncomfortable or even uh, candidly afraid to play it um, in, in fear of offending someone just by us saying sick. Now, what's interesting is, is, is so many of them have told us that they love the track, they love what it's saying, but uh, they're, they're concerned about offending but some of those, many of those same stations uh, are not concerned about offending people when they play, excuse me, wet ass pussy. Okay? So Correct. they're not concerned about offending people with that. They're concerned about saying sick and tired. So, uh, you know, I would, I would hope that uh, all your viewers and followers and listeners uh, would call Black Radio and, and to play, uh, to request that they play sick and tired and see that there's nothing to be afraid of yeah. Um, so may, I'm, I'm thinking you probably weren't aware of that, but if you had, then I, I would have said, okay, if he could yeah, that. No, I, I, I wasn't aware of it. And I thank you for bringing it to our attention. Right. And uh, obviously, you know, we will use our platform, yes, whatever influence we've been given to make sure that people will do exactly that. Now this single, is this just a single or is it, is it attached to an album project that we, we need to be expecting from Sounds of Blackness? Uh, as of now, we've released it as a single, Brother Jerry B. Um, what we're thinking of, because 2021 is Sounds of Blackness' 50th anniversary celebration. And we're looking to do a couple of things. Well, actually, do several things. One is to finally release our first live CD recording, which was done five years ago at uh, Wiley College. I know all your viewers know the movie The Great Debaters. Yeah. Uh, hats off to Denzel Washington, who, who directed and I think uh, financed and produced it. Um, but Sounds of Blackness have on our first live recording very special guests, uh, the Wiley College uh, acapella chorus under the direction of the great maestro, my friend and brother, Stephen Hayes, who is now at Philander Smith. But but I say that, uh, a little long answer to your question, but we're looking to release that and probably uh, attach Sick and Tired to it as a bonus single. 
yeah. uh, in commemoration of Sounds of Blackness, uh, celebrating, as we say, celebrating 50 years of blackness. That's fantastic, man. Man, yeah. many kudos to you. Much respect. Uh, all of the accolades that uh, that you've garnered. And again, you remain who you are. Uh, thank, oh, you. Bless, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, tell thank us you. there. I said, what's up? And again, we'll do everything we can to keep Sounds of Blackness, your fantastic music, the culture that you represent and uplift uh, before everybody that we come in contact with. Oh, bless you, brother. On behalf of the group, we can't thank you enough for that. Uh, Sounds of Blackness singers and band. Sometimes yeah. our band gets a little overlooked, uh, <laughs> but we want all your viewers to know uh, that that great instrumentation that you hear on our records and our live uh, performances, that's not hired help. Our, our band members are our longtime members, almost all of them, uh, as of full-fledged Sounds of Blackness members. And uh, so shout out to our band. Shout out to the band. <laughs> Shout out to the drummers for real. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody, everybody who keeps uh, Sounds of Blackness on the stage and in the studio. Let me ask you before you go about Sister Ann. Now, will Sister Ann Nesby be joining you on the 50th? Oh, absolutely. We, we definitely uh, want this uh, project to have um, a nostalgic feel. You know, I mean, how could it not if we're commemorating 50 years kind of thing? So, uh, and, and, and even though Sam, uh, uh, Anne has embarked on a solo career, successful one for, yeah. oh my God, 20 years or so now, um, she invented the saying, once a sounds, always a sound. Uh -huh. So, and, and she would want me to say that. And, and I'm sure she would also want me to send love to you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Tell her we, you know, the, and these parts, you know, she is the second coming of Aretha Franklin. Always. That's right. That's right. <laughs> we love her so much, man. Well, bless you. Yeah, so do we. We so appreciate your time. We appreciate who you are and what you represent to music. Thank you for uh, insight on the spirit of music. And I'm sure that's going to add to the conversation. Couldn't do this. I mean, the whole podcast series would be done if Gary Hines couldn't join us. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, your insight is definitely important. Uh, we'll be Thank talking you. to some people around the world uh, about yeah. this aspect and just getting a, a, a holistic uh, perspective on the spirit of music. Oh. Well, people, my my friends, uh, I don't call you my followers. We're all in this together. We're all entrepreneurs, musicians. Right. You've heard from one of the best in the music industry. And uh, again, if you didn't see our first conversation, I'm going to link to that even here. You got to see Doris Hines performing at 90 years old. You got to hear the interviews and have her walk through her story. Thank you. Yeah. To Brother Gary Hines, thank you, brother, for lending us your time and your experience. Oh, all praise to God, my brother. And, and again, thank you. Uh, we love you like gumbo. I love gumbo. <laughs> that, that's, a lot, that's, that's a lot of love, right? It's <laughs> a lot of love, a lot of flavor. Yes, so I hate to keep saying that I'm right, but I knew that you would dig this conversation. I absolutely loved it, uh, watching and listening to it uh, yet again. Uh, grateful, love the group, love what they stand for, love their mission, and uh, grateful that I had that opportunity to dialogue uh, with Gary Hines. We definitely want you to like, subscribe, and share this video. Share uh, with people who uh, you don't know even. Just say, look, I don't know you, but I know you're gonna like this. <laughs> and uh, 
come to the entremusician.com and uh, look under the hood. We're, in fact, uh, we're developing an episode that we're going to share with you uh, some new developments and some exciting things that are on the horizon for us in the very near future. And when I say us, I mean you, because you are us. We're all entre musicians together. So uh, subscribe to the channel. Tell everybody you know. Tell 12 people you don't know that you roll with the entree musician. And uh, look, I'm, I'm gonna just tell you, you're gonna be excited about what's on the horizon. We have some great things in store and we have them in store with you in mind because I say it all the time. My name is Jerry B. I am the entree musician, but you know what's most important? So are you. And we will see you next time. God bless. <laughs>